that according to Psalm 8, man is a little lower than the angels, suggesting that man is in a position somewhere between the angels above and the beasts below. Angels are spirits without bodies. Now, they can take on a body, but they are spirit beings. Animals are bodies without spirits. Man is in between because he is both body and spirit. And that puts man in a mediating position. And it has always been man's prerogative to move, move upward toward the spiritual or downward toward the animal. And we become like that which we focus upon. That's why it's not possible to sin a little bit. All sin moves us downhill, individually, nationally, culturally. All sin is dangerous, whatever it is. For the last, well, I started to say for the last several weeks, but before we were so rudely interrupted, we had been uh, studying the most dreadful description of the human race to be found in all of literature. That description that is provided by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. It begins with the rejection of God by all people and has proceeded to God's abandonment of us, a result of which human beings rapidly fall into a terrible pit of depravity to their own hurt and to the hurt of those around them. In the last verses now of Romans chapter 1 to which we come, Paul rounds out that description with a large catalog of vices, a very long list. There's 21 items here, and it's difficult to look at. Uh, some don't look at it. Even some uh, preachers will not look at it. This forms the core of a doctrine that we know as uh, total depravity. Uh, and that is that man is thoroughly corrupt in the eyes of God. There's nothing that man can do that will earn him favor in the eyes of God. It doesn't mean that all men are as sinful as they could possibly be. It simply means that all men are sinners, that they are corrupted by sin. Many people today don't want to hear that, and so they change the message to fit cultural expectations. They speak of man's goodness. They speak of the potential for human betterment. They speak of the comfort of the gospel without that for which the gospel came to cure. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, those encompass all of the law and the prophets. But as one writer has said, man as a sinner hates God, hates man, and hates himself. He would kill God if he could. He does kill his fellow man when he can. And he commits spiritual suicide every day of his life. The interesting thing about some of this is that in spite of the fact that many pulpits have been muted 
in their description of men, secular writers have not. Psychiatrists have discovered that once you scratch away the veneer of civilization, that man's heart is so depraved, one writer, who's not a Christian, describes it as opening up the pit of hell. Uh, many of you may remember seeing the movie many years ago called Judgment at Nuremberg. And in it, the chief prosecutor remembers uh, interviewing uh, one of the Nazi war criminals, criminals, one in charge of the gas chambers. And he said what frightened him beyond measure was when he looked at that man, he saw not a monster, but himself. He saw himself. He saw that this was just a man who had, who had gone into sin and went deeper and deeper and deeper into his depravity. In this section here, three times, Paul re repeats the phrase, God gave them up, or God gave them over. God gives sinners over to sexual impurity, resulting in the dishonoring of their bodies. We learn in verse 24, God gives sinners over to homosexuality, and that results in them receiving the due penalty of their sin. Verses 26 and 27. Both of these judgments deal with sexual sins. And as we saw, sin is his own punishment. Sin promises freedom. You're not going to be bound. Uh, one of the reasons, the, the real reason that man rejects God, Paul has said, is not intellectual. He says there's enough evidence in the creation to see God's power and his person. The reason that man rejects God is moral. He doesn't want God telling him how to live. He wants to be the captain of his own soul. That's why sometimes when you talk with those who claim to be atheists, and they say, well, if you can provide me some proof that God exists, I'll believe it. You provide the proof, and they go, no, that's not good enough. Why? Because their problem is not in the mind primarily. The problem is in the heart, in the will, the volition. It's enslaved to sin. Sin entices us by saying that it will bring happiness and fulfillment. And there is pleasure in sin for a short time. But the long-term effects of sin are devastating. It dishonors our bodies, defiles our conscience, destroys loving relationships, tears apart families, eats away at the foundation of society, and ultimately results in God's temporal and God's eternal judgment. Now, if Paul had stopped after verses 24 and 25, many of us could sit up straight and say, yeah, preach it, brother. Get all them sexually immoral people. Boy, I've, I've never done any of that. I've never fallen into any gross sin. I'm not guilty. And if he'd stopped after verses 26 and 27, we could say, yeah, give it to those homosexuals. Yeah, they need to hear about God's judgment on their sin. And we could sit smugly and say, we've never done that. Unfortunately for us, Paul doesn't stop there. 
he moves from the area of sexual sin to relational sins. And while some of them, like murder, or being a hater of God, sounds extreme, before we congratulate ourselves about never having done that, remember the teaching of Jesus when he said that if we are angry with our brother, we have committed murder in God's sight. Remember what Jesus said, if we look on someone to lust after them, then we have committed adultery in the heart. If, if we do not put God in first place in every area of our lives and honor him and obey him as he deserves, we really hate him. So as we work through Paul's long list of sins, and we're going to be doing that primarily Next week, these are the ones that mark those that God has given over to a depraved mind. We need to be honest and recognize that Paul is describing our sins. These are my sins. These are your sins. These are not the sins of some gross fellow down there on Skid Row. These are ours. We are sinners. We are those who are, in essence, many times haters of God. And so we need the gospel applied to our hearts on a daily basis. On, on a daily basis. Remember what Paul said in the book of Colossians? He said, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive it? Repentance and faith. How are you to walk in him every day of your life? Repentance and faith. Paul begins, verse 28, about talking about the entrance of sin. Sin begins when we deliberately shut God out of our lives. Uh, they can, can refer to the entire human race after the fall. On another level, it can refer to certain civilizations who turned their back on God. And on yet another level, it applies to individuals who go headlong into sin. The word God is in the emphatic position in the sentence, indicating it is no less than God the Creator, who man sees no longer fit to acknowledge. The Greek word uh, uh, see fit means to approve by testing. It was used of a saying metal to prove that it was uh, genuine. So Paul says, sinners have tested God and concluded he's not real. So they have rejected him. Maybe they prayed and asked God to spare the life of a child or a loved one and the person died. Maybe they asked him, to deliver them from some problem, but it only got worse. So they concluded God is not genuine, and they shut him out of their lives. At the root of this is man sitting in judgment on God. They have put God on trial and determined that he is a phony, that he is not real. So rather than seeking to know God and submit to his ways, as he has revealed in his word, they do not see fit to hold them in their knowledge. They 
They think if God is like that, if he doesn't relieve my suffering, if he doesn't do what I want him to do, then I don't want to know it. So they cast God aside like fools go. They shut him out of their lives. That's always the first step in sin. Rather than submit to God by obedience to his word and by persevering through trials, we turn our backs on him. We decide that we know better than he does about what will make us happy. And so we move ahead without God. Uh, in the midst of all that's been going on, uh, I've seen a lot of people who have been saying, why me? Why me? Why has this happened to me? My question is, well, why not? Why not me? I'm a sinner. I, I'm, a, I'm one of Adam's race. I'm one of those who has rebelled against God. Why shouldn't it happen to me? I have no guarantee that just because I'm a Christian that things are not going to be tough. And, and we're all going to die, people. Somehow I think that's been lost in the last two and a half months. The idea somehow is that we can get back to a life where there are no germs and there is no sickness and there is no death. Not going to happen. Men have been dying since the fall. They will continue to die. The question is, are you prepared to die? Have you made preparation for death? Have you acknowledged God? Are you holding Him? In the last part of verse 28, Paul says that sin becomes entrenched when God gives us over to a debased mind. God's giving sinners over to the consequences of their sin does not mean that he is responsible for their sin. Rather, he lifts his restraining hand and perhaps gives them a push out the door and says, you do not want to acknowledge me. You want to sin. You, you want to be self-willed, the master of your own fate, the captain of your own soul. Go ahead. Go ahead. He simply gives them over to the consequences of the choices that they have made. And again, sin is its own punishment. There, there's a play on words in the Greek text here. Just as sinners have tested God and rejected them, so God gives them over to minds that were tested and found false. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, so God gives them up to unfit minds. It means that their minds be, become quite unable to make trustworthy moral judgments. Those things that are not proper refers to that which is offensive to man, even according to the popular moral sense of the world. Uh, He's talking about what even natural fallen human judgment deems to be wrong. Uh, all sin begins in the mind, in the heart. We're going we're gonna to look next week, maybe the next, at this long list of sins. And remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. For from within... 
Out of the heart of man proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Many of the sins that Jesus lists here overlaps with Paul's list in Romans. But the point is, sin warps our thinking so that we do not see from God's perspective. We begin to think that sin is not so bad. Every day I, I, I hear people say or I, I read something where people have written, if God did so and so, I don't want anything to do with him. In other words, I'm smarter than God, I know better than God, and if God does not conform to me, then I want nothing to do with him. It's all a matter of perspective. Do you believe that God is a sovereign, holy, benevolent father? Then can he do anything wrong? Can he do anything wrong? It's all a matter of perspective. How do you look at it? When you think of God, what do you think of? Uh, we look at sin and think, well, it's not so bad because that's going to get me what I really want. And so we disobey God, we disregard his word, and we plunge into sin. We justify ourselves and blame others. And when the consequences of our sin come home to roost, then we want to blame God. You know, I, I couldn't tell you the number of people in my life who said, well, if God didn't want me to do that, he'd stop me. Really? What? He'd blow up all the, you know, all the drug stash in the world? What? I, you know, exactly how's God going to do that? You make a choice. You decide. You decide either to obey God or disobey God. You decide either to be complicit with his will or in rebellion against his will. All right, next week we're going to take up here and we're going to look at these 21.